Good evening, everyone. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37 tonight. Those of you in Perry, Oklahoma, when you watch this, if it's uh, later than tonight, understand that we are in the middle of a Kentucky ice storm right now, and I have three degrees in which to preach this sermon. Uh, temperature's dropping, and we could be all stuck in here together uh, if, if I don't preach fast. Uh, it's sun always shines in Oklahoma, so by the time y'all see this, I'm sure it'll be great. Uh, Genesis chapter 37, second series, message in a series entitled Man on a Mission. I talked this morning uh, about the story of the prodigal son and how men have in their hearts sometimes this, this uh, desire or at least this tendency to sometimes run. Uh, we talked about that and how we truly need to run to the Lord and find our home with him. I made this statement that some of you may not agree with. I just wonder what you think. I made this statement that most men are unhappy most of the time. Y'all think about that. That's a, a very broad generalization, and we're talking about a whole lot of, whole lot of boys here. Uh, do you think that sounds true? Most men unhappy most of the time? Redneck section says yes. Uh, so maybe it's, it's a redneck thing. Um, I'm not saying that that involves most men in this church. I, I think that honestly our church is blessed with a number of extremely uh, life-giving men and, and our church is made strong and blessed. Our families are made strong and blessed by uh, the joy that you have in the Lord. But uh, uh, get out and meet some real men, some real people, and you'll quickly find that a lot of men are unhappy. If that's a generalization, then get ready for this one. I also think that not only are more men unhappy, but I think there are more men who really struggle with the sin of pride I think pride is a particular trap for men. Uh, I, I know that there's some proud women out there, proud Mary out there, but, but, but I also think that men struggle in a particular way with the sin of pride. So let's look tonight at the story of Joseph. The message entitled, The Humble Brag. Anybody familiar with that term? Humble brag, it's a brand new word. They're making new words every day, it seems like. And the new word is humble brag. What is a humble brag? Some of you have done it and you didn't even know you were doing it. A humble brag. What's a humble brag? You're, you're bragging, but you try to sound humble when you brag. Most of us don't want to just out and out tell people how magnificent we are, so we try to slip it in with a little bit of humility. So it's the kind of thing where you say, you know, the worst thing about driving a brand new truck is that, you know, when you park it, somebody always opens their door into you. Understand? Like we're supposed to feel sorry for you. But because you might get a ding on your brand new truck, you, you understand? Celebrities are awesome out the, at this. Joe, Joe Jonas with the, with the Jonas Brothers recently uttered the humble brag. He said, I can't believe I just did this, but I walked down the wrong escalator because of all the flashbulbs in my face. Yeah, we feel so sorry for you. It, it, it's his way of reminding you that, yeah, people take my picture everywhere I go. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's, it's hard to be humble, I suppose, when you're just that great. Um, there actually is a whole Twitter feed. If you're on Twitter, uh, look up hashtag humblebrag because it's a whole thing. There are people who, who mark their humblebrags on Twitter, and then there are people who mark other people's humblebrags. There is an, an amazing uh, Twitter feed. Uh, the guy's name is, is, is Pastor Humblebrag. And what he does is simply troll Twitter looking for preachers who humble brag. And we do it all the time. We do it all the time. My favorite humble brag from Rick Warren lately. Rick Warren says, I'm truly humbled that you follow my tweets. I pray that they enrich your life and strengthen your ministry. God bless all 200,000 of you. 
I love Rick Warren. I do. I love Rick Warren. And he truly is a very humble man. But now, you know, when you say God bless all 200,000 of you, I hope my tweets, you know, change your life. Uh, It's a tweet, dude. It's 120 words. Uh, But most any of us can fall into this trap. It's very, very difficult not somehow to fall into the the, the sin of pride. And I think it's an especially difficult thing for a lot of men not saying women can't be proud, but I think it's got something to do with uh, a lot of ways the traditional roles that, that men assume, the role that is given us as, as providers, as protectors in our families, uh, as leaders in, in many, many cases. Uh, there's a certain kind of confidence that seems to go with those job descriptions. Uh, families don't want a, a, a dad who whines and complains and, 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 and never seems to have his stuff together. And so as men, we do learn early on that people expect us to walk tall and and put our chest out and have confidence. It sort of goes with the territory. But but I also think there's a line that we cross into sinful pride. And I think if you need an illustration of that, let's just take a, a brief look at the story of Joseph. Genesis chapter 37. Of course, at the end of this passage, Joseph gets thrown in a pit. But just read this with me. We would throw him in a pit. I mean, I would throw him in a pit. Uh, Just watch this guy. Uh, It's the sin of pride on parade. Genesis 37, start with verse 2. This is the account of Jacob. Okay, stop right there. It's the account of Jacob. Who's Jacob? Let your mind be coming back to who he is because it's going to matter in a minute. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. We call that a tattletale. Yeah, and nobody likes one. Let's keep going. Jacob, the father, loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Okay, this isn't going to go well. You know that. If, if you just stop there, this won't go well. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a a beautiful robe, a, a coat of many colors. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you're going to be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more. It's already said they hate him. Now they just hate him more. Hate him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about it. Soon Joseph had another dream. You knew he would. And again, he told his brothers about it. You knew he would. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. His father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. 
when they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I'll send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. So, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the country and said, what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they're pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him they've moved on from here, but I heard him say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in this empty pit here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. They grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic, aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's just sell him. We'll just stop there. You know they sold him, right? They sold him. When the church fathers used to talk about the seven deadly sins, they always put the sin of pride as number one. So, so pride is in many ways the, the number one sin. They considered it sort of the chief sin, the, the sin that leads to all other sins. So let's sort of define it. What is pride? Somebody. What's pride? Yeah, thinking more highly of myself than I should. Absolutely, pride is, is thinking more highly of myself. What else? That doesn't sound so bad. In our culture, we think everybody needs a little more self-esteem. Barney the dinosaur was pumping my son up every day of his life. We, we've always assumed that, that self-esteem is, is a problem with people, and they, they need to think well of themselves. They need some confidence. So when you say it's just thinking too highly, can you even do that? I mean, most of us assume that, that we don't have enough self-esteem. Why is it a problem? Why would it be the number one sin? Yeah, that, that thinking too highly of myself changes the way I look at other people. That's important. But, but even more important than that, it changes the way I look at God. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Pride becomes a kind of idolatry because I inevitably end up putting myself in the place of God. Now, when you speak about men in particular, our tendency, of course, is to put a lot of confidence in ourselves. We, we, you can say that, that society asks us to do it, that, that we want to be strong and confident and all of that. But many of us get to the point where we truly want to do it all by ourselves. We don't want to ask for help. We don't want to look like we don't understand. We don't want to ask for any kind of directions. We're going to handle this ourselves. And we begin to put our trust in ourselves instead of putting our trust in God. And, and I think that is why, in particular, men struggle with pride. 
we inevitably begin to put ourselves in the place of God. So here's Joseph. His story begins in a rather amazing way. You know, right, these dreams come from God. The dreams come from God. These dreams are going to come to pass. And Joseph is going to be exalted in ways that he hasn't even dreamed yet. So this does come from God. But at the same time, what a mess. And and what a proud jerk. I mean, even knowing that it comes from God, none of us were sorry to see him thrown in a pit. I would have thrown him in a pit. Why do these dreams lead to so much trouble for Joseph? What do you think? It comes back to his number one flaw, which is pride. Yeah, it's pride. But because of Joseph's pride, he's not able to understand the grace that he receives. You understand that? He's not able to understand the grace that he receives, and therefore he has no grace for others. He doesn't understand the grace he's received, so therefore he doesn't have grace for others. And and primarily he just begins to assume uh, a very high estimate of his own worthiness. He receives these dreams and just takes for granted that he is somehow worthy of of all the good things that might be coming his way. Let me back up just a little bit. Verse 2, this is the account of Jacob and his family. Okay, this is Jacob and his family, and this family is really messed up. Can we agree with that? You've got some guys who said, nah, let's don't kill our brother, let's just sell him. And they said that while they were eating bologna sandwiches. I mean, they're eating lunch. It's what it says. While they're eating, uh, let's sell them instead. Let's tell daddy you got eaten by something and just sell them. I mean, this is a messed up family, a a very messed up family. How did they get so messed up? Yeah, there's a, a little clue here. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. What? I mean... Is the leader of a family, is is a man supposed to do that? Are you supposed to love one of your children more than the others and and do it in an obvious way? You know, at at Christmas, all the other boys all got, you know, I don't know, chewing tobacco, whatever you get. But then Joseph gets this amazing, you know, Carhartt jacket. And then he struts around and wears it everywhere. He doesn't even take it off in the house with the fireplace on. He just sits and sweats so everybody can see the awesomeness of his jacket. I mean, this is the family we have here. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? Remember, who's Jacob? Yeah, his name means deceiver. What do you know about his family? He was brothers with Esau. Their parents were Isaac and Rebecca. Yeah, what do you know about that family? Again, now we're with the grandparents. He deceived his father. Yeah. But you remember Isaac and Rebecca? Did they love their sons the same? No, they had favorites too. Who was Isaac's favorite son? Yeah, he loved Esau. He loved Esau. Esau was a daddy's boy. But now Jacob was kind of mama's boy. His mama's boy. And that, that favoritism uh, brought incredible pain to that family. Now, you would think by this point, Jacob would have learned a lesson. But, but honestly, you, you can probably go broke betting on men learning anything from their lives. 
And Jacob is a man who hasn't learned anything from his life. He didn't learn from his own life, being in a situation where he was not his father's favorite. And he didn't learn from his own father's life. Do you understand? He hasn't learned anything. And now it's his family. It's his family. Now, it's very difficult. I'm not about to blame all the problems in every family on the father, but we should talk about that. We should talk about that. In the New Testament, whenever the discussion turns to to choosing leaders for the church, one of the first things that Scripture instructs us to do is to examine the man and then look at his family. Look at his wife. Look at his kids. Why? Because we want deacons' wives who play the piano. No, because everybody knows what deacons' kids are like. No, no, yes, and no. What's the point? What can you learn about a man by looking at his family? You learn about the quality of his influence. You see, we all have it. Every man has influence. You don't have to get up in the morning and plan to have it on purpose. You have incredible influence in your family. And whether you're one of those guys that likes to think yourself as the head of the house or, or, or you'd rather not think of yourself in that way, There's just something about the family and something about the father's place in the family, and you just can't deny it. The father has incredible weight, incredible influence in the family. As they say, so goes the man, so goes the family. I mean, can you even deny this? How many of you have not gone to church with, 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 with families and you would see that woman bring those kids to church all those Sundays, Sunday after Sunday, and dad never comes to church, but mama keeps bringing them, and mama brings them and brings them. And then when they get to be 18, they decide to lay out like dad. Isn't that interesting? They'll still choose to go after dad. There is this incredible way where the man's influence is just undeniable. It's just undeniable. And in Jacob's family, his influence is undeniable. I don't know that if you ever sat down and and, and taught lessons about favoritism and hatred, but but, but you just soak it up. I mean, it's, it's the man's influence. This is why as men, pride becomes very, very destructive in our lives because first off, it will destroy our families. If the man only thinks of himself and if the man continues to exalt himself and not consider his family and how his actions, how his influence is shaping his family, then that man is not only going to harm himself, he's going to harm generations of his own family. You, you, you've seen this. Heard a guy tell a story about being at, at his friend's house and these guys were all sitting around watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, uh, it's cool. They were watching Fresh Prince of Bel Air, uh, a bunch of guys after school. And, and the, the kid whose house they were at, the, the father came home. He came home. He walked right in that living room, and there were like five guys, you know, eat, eating Cheetos and watching Fresh Prince of Bel Air. That dad walks right in, throws a kid out of his chair, and changes the channel to a fishing show. Never says a word to those boys, never says anything. But the message was clear. What's the message? I'm the king of this castle. Yeah, I'm the king of this castle, and you boys don't matter. Now, you may be the king of your castle, and that might be your chair, and you paid for it, and that might be your TV. You're paying for the cable, and you never did like Fresh Prince anyway. But I'm telling you, sir, you're sending very, very strong messages to your children, to, to those who live with you, when you continue to act as if the world revolves around you. 
heard a man tell a story about his own father. He said in his house growing up, everybody always, always drank water or milk with supper, always, except dad who always had a Coca-Cola. Dad always had a Coca-Cola. So one day the, the brothers were kind of debating. They finally decided to ask. So, so at the supper table, the, the, the boy said, Daddy, how come we always drink water, but you always have Coca-Cola? The dad said, because Cokes are expensive. What was the dad saying? They're expensive, which means only I can have one. Yeah. That, honestly, that sounds a lot like my grandfather. And, and maybe it sounds like the men that have been in your life. But, but surely by now, sir, you recognize that your, your father, your grandfather, they may have been great men, but they're not truly your example. Your example is Christ. It's always Christ. In my life as a man, in your life as a man, we struggle and we strive to become like Christ. Other men, even men in our family, they may help us insofar as they are faithful in imitating Christ. But whenever they fail to be like Christ, we cannot follow after them. And we must resist that tendency to become like them. We want to be like Christ. I pray to the Lord that my son struggles to imitate Christ and not to imitate me. It's Christ that is our model. And what does the scripture say about husbands and wives, for example? It says that the husband should love his wife just like Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. So what does that say? What does it say? In a nutshell, the husband is going to sacrifice for his wife. You understand that? Does that make sense? The husband's love is sacrificial. The father's love is sacrificial. In my mind, that means if there's a sacrifice to be made in the house, dad, you make it. Sir, you make it. Your life, your love is supposed to resemble the love of Christ. And when your sons grow up, they should see that in you. They should know that. that if there's a hard job to do, dad always did it. And if there was a hard decision or a hard sacrifice to make, if there was a price to be paid, dad paid it. Dad laid down his life. Dad sacrificed. Dad was like Christ in that way. Do you understand? The only way to really deal with the pride that swells up within us is to kill it with the gospel, to allow, to allow Christ to transform us, to allow the sacrifice of Christ to tell us who we are as men and as Christians. We imitate him. Jesus loved to the point of laying down his life. So Joseph has these dreams, these, these amazing dreams. You can, I guess, in some ways excuse Joseph because at the very same time in his family, he is deeply loved and deeply hated all at the same time. But he seems oblivious to all of it. Mostly he's just deeply clueless. He's just deeply clueless. Take a look. One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, now stop right there. Why did he think they would ever want to hear this? Why does he share this with his brothers? Because he just loves to tell it. He loves this dream. Joseph has a very interesting kind of problem at this stage in his life, and I guess the word for it today is what we call narcissism. Narcissism, you know that word? It comes from a figure in mythology. His name was Narcissus. And what did Narcissus do? He was a man who did what? He fell in love with himself. He fell in love with himself. Yeah. 
He fell so in love with himself that one day when he was out by the water, he happened to see his reflection in the water. And what did he say? Hello, gorgeous. I've been looking for somebody like you all my life. He fell in love with his own reflection. And at that moment, he suddenly realized why everybody else loved him so much. He was beautiful in his own eyes. And he laid there forever just looking at his own face. You know how the story goes, right? I mean, you know, Scripture says pride always goes before a fall. Yeah. So Narcissus is there uh, loving his own reflection in love with himself. And what's he do? He he just, you know, he just decided, man, I'm so beautiful. I just got to kiss myself. I don't make this stuff up. Read mythology. I got to kiss myself. And so he leaned down and what did he do? Fell in the water and drowned. Yeah, he fell in the water and drowned. That's narcissus, and they call it narcissism when any one of us falls in love with ourselves. And there are a couple of symptoms of that. Joseph has all of them, by the way. What is he thinking and even sharing these dreams with his brothers? Bottom line, he is oblivious to the feelings of others. He's oblivious. It never crosses his mind to even wonder how his words are affecting other people, or or how his dreams, though they may be from God, how his dreams will sound in the ears of his brothers who already have a really difficult time getting along with him. He never, ever seems to consider them. I mean, bottom line, because of his pride, he is the center of his own world, and so therefore he assumes that he's the center of their world too. And a lot of men make that mistake. I want to be the hero of my story, and I know that Jesus is the hero of my story and of yours too, but but go with me. I want to be the hero of my story, and pride makes me assume that I'm going to be the hero in your story too. Pride makes me assume that you're going to admire me as much as I admire myself. Pride makes me think that you're going to want to celebrate me the way I celebrate me. Pride makes me just figure that you're thinking about me as much as I'm thinking about me, and all of that is false. That that's pride. That that's pride. The Lord may grant that you can be the hero of your story, but you're not going to be the hero of everybody else's story. As a matter of fact, everybody else's story isn't even about you. You're probably not even a very big character in everybody else's story. You've got to learn to accept that, sir. It's pride. It's pride. Now, certainly you should try to be the hero to your family. You should try to be the hero in your own story, but you're going to have to just get past the fact that in other, everybody else's life, you're not going to be the big stuff. You're just not going to be. Not going to be. The sooner you recognize that, the sooner your pride begins to lose its hold, and the sooner you really begin to find out what Christ has for you, what he created you to be. It's not about yourself. Joseph can't understand that. It never crosses his mind what other people think or how his actions and words affect them. He's just wrapped up in himself. It's the other part that gets us to his second dream, and his brother said, you think you'll be our king? Do you actually think you will reign over us? It's that language of, of reigning over. Bottom line, the Lord has given us as men a great deal of strength. It's, it's a masculine kind of strength. Women have their strength as well, and I take nothing away from that. I'm not, I'm not trying to tear down women in order to build up men. I don't feel that that's necessary at all. 
But there is a peculiar masculine kind of strength that, that God has put in, in us as men. And it's beautiful and it's awesome to be a man. It, it, it really, really is. But the problem with us as men is we often assume that, that our power is to be used over people. And, and some of us get really into that. The idea that we're bigger and stronger and therefore we can dominate. We're smarter, we, we know the answer, so therefore we should be in charge of everything. We have this prideful tendency to assume that the power, the strength God gives us is to be used over people. So that we can be in control, so that we can be the men on the scene. But remember when Jesus was with his disciples and they would often get into arguments as men will do over who's the greatest. And remember what Jesus would say to them over and over and over. If you want to be great, you need to do what? You need to learn how to be the least. If you want to go straight to the top, you need to find your place at the bottom. If you want to be the first, you need to break your neck to get to the end of the line. The first are going to be last. If you want to be first, you need to make yourself the last. And if you want to be something big, you need to learn to serve. Now, now this is Jesus talking. And Jesus said, what's a man's strength for? What's, What's the power for? The gifts you've been given, all that God has given you. Why has God given you this? So that you can make something big of yourself? So that you can dominate your family? So that you can control everything? No, no, no. It's all given for others. You use your strength. You you use your leadership. Everything you do is to serve others. In, In your family. It's not about you always being the king of your castle. It's about you making sure that because of living with you day after day, week after week, year after year, your wife becomes a glorious woman that God created her to be. It's about watching her become a better woman because she's under your influence. It's about raising kids that that become amazing men and women of God because they've had a father who had a vision for their lives and knew how to pour into them every day and not just pour into himself. You understand? It's not power over. It's not strength over people. Everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did teaches us as men that all the strength we have is used to lift others up. Remember what the scripture says? Whoever is proud, God's going to humble. But those who are humble, God himself will exalt. He will lift up. So if there's any uh, praise, if there's any lifting up to do, let God do that, sir. It's just not your job to continue to uh, inflate your own ego. I'm not saying women can't fall into the trap of pride as well, but for those of us as men, It seems to be a peculiar trap for us. And and the problem is it separates us from God, the only one who truly is worthy of our admiration and worship and trust. If we never find anything greater than ourselves to admire, then as men, we are to be most pitied. Let's pray together, then we'll close with a song. Pray with me. God, on behalf of my brothers, just I thank you, Lord, for the way you've made us as men. God, we're all different. We don't all fit any single stereotype. 
but we all have the same kind of strength and, and the same kind of desire, Lord, to uh, be men after your own heart. God, our problem is we become a little bit self-focused, a little self-reliant. We want to do it ourselves, and we often want other people to do it our way and to admire us the way we admire ourselves. God, help us. Help us as men to take our eyes off of ourselves and put our eyes on you, O oh Lord. Help us to look less in the mirror and more into the cross. God, I pray that you would help each of us as men to find our strength and then to find ways to use that strength on behalf of others. We thank you, Lord, for what you've given us, for the way you've made us. We thank you for our families, those with whom we work, those with whom we go to school, all of those under our influence. I pray, Lord, that because of our influence upon others, that others will be able to see and love the Savior in whose name we pray.